think I'm good. Skype didn't change anything. Yeehaw. I don't know what that means, Jared. <laughs> go either way. Thumbs up. Little voice, Jared. <laughs> Scotch on the rocks, please. Any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a Glengow, any Glen. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Okay, so we are back on sober cinema to celebrate masturbation on film and uh, with that we go to a classic december 4th that weekend 20 years ago 1998 we had the remake for psycho uh the much beloved remake from gus van sant which uh according to box office mojo i have here was the only wide new release that weekend uh, it still came in second to a bug's life uh psycho opened to 10 million now, our forgotten film. We are going back to, I believe, truly forgotten films in the sense that I don't think I'd ever heard of this one. It's called Little Voice. It is a uh, you know late 90s Miramax film, which means it has certain big-name actors. You do have uh, Owen McGregor, the great Michael Caine in this. Uh, however, I don't know the actress playing the uh, title character of Little Voice, but that one opened on six screens. So I don't think it ever got a wide release. So I don't know, gentlemen, this will be fun because our mainstream (laughs) film is like hated (laughs) by the film community, probably, (laughs) probably forgotten by people who just are into horror movies. And then there's little voice, which has a lot to like (laughs) a lot of sass. (laughs) So Jared, uh, set the scene a little bit here. What what are we diving into as far as uh, total box office and rotten tomato scores for these two films? Uh, for Psycho, it had a sixty million dollar production budget and yes. grossed thirty. Yeah, sixty million. Now, I, that was another question when I looked up. Like sixty million. To, they are doing a shot for shot remake of a movie made in nineteen fifty nine. They uh, they blew some money on the CGI on uh, Anne Hesh's shower scene. I read that part. They uh, CGI'd the blood for some reason. Didn't go with the practical Gosh. effect there. I mean, I, I don't know why. But I think sure. I read the I read the same thing, Jared, and I think they initially the decision was to shoot it as I guess bloodless as Hitchcock, mm-hmm. but then they were like, well, 1998, maybe we need a some stab wounds here. But yeah, waste yeah. big waste of money there on that. <laughs> CGI for blood. Yeah, Gus Van Zandt just burning money. Uh, it made 37 million dollars worldwide gross. 38% from the critics, 28% from the audience. So panned from. Pretty much every angle possible. Nobody liked it. <laughs> Little Voice with a budget of $6 million in production and a worldwide gross of $21.7 million. So it uh, was that more than tripled, more than tripled, three and a half times its production budget, 79% from the critics, 74% from the audience. Pretty well received. So uh, th- th- I guess this will be like the original concept of the show where it's like, well, Everyone was an idiot initially, but they all came <laughs> around to Little Voice. But as I said, I uh, I didn't know what this was. So let's start with our forgotten film, because maybe this one needs a little more pampering, like Michael Caine would do. Uh, Josh, <laughs> <laughs> explain to our dear listeners, all 12 of them, uh, what is Little Voice? What's it about? Uh, so Little Voice um, is the nickname for the, the lead character uh, played by his, her name, Jane Horrocks? Is that the correct way of pronouncing it? I hope. Uh, it's not a very good stage uh, name. No. Uh, and to go, you mentioned earlier that you wasn't real familiar with her. I did read that, like, um, I guess she's a little bit more of a stage actor, you know. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and I, I think. You're saying I'm not cultured, was, so I wouldn't know. That's what you're saying. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but certainly an argument to make. Maybe not for that reason. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she. In this movie, she does the actual singing. She actually does imitate those artists like Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe, what Wait, have you. 
Are you saying just for this film, or she's known for that on the stage that she can like do those production numbers? She was known for that. So there was a a play or a Broadway show or whatever. I don't know. I'm not cultured enough to know the difference myself. There we go. Uh, <laughs> but um, back but you into a corner. The person who wrote it wrote the story <laughs> for her because he knew she could mimic those voices. So it was a stage show, and then the movie was made. So she was. Cast as the star for it as well, obviously. But as far as plot goes, yes, she's uh, she's not a mute. I, I don't know if you would call it just extreme like shyness that prevents her from a little speaking. antisocial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's a bit of a recluse. She lives with her uh, <laughs> feisty mother, uh, Brenda Blethen, who uh, yeah, I did know, and the character's name is Marie Hoff. Which just just <laughs> sounds like a sitcom neighbor. <laughs> it does not sound like the star of the show. And right. uh you're gonna get a lot of sexy times with her, right, Jared? <laughs> too many to count. And two seconds here that I fib you not. Two seconds. And his hands on me ass. My ass, my golden old ass in race face hands. But he stands there telling jokes to Mr. Boo. Well, I saw him again last night. Oh, the music was in our heads, in our heads, and in his wandering hands. He'll make it in anything, Ray say. It's one of them lovable twat sort of types. Driving me round in his lovable twat mobile. He motored me round about a million miles an hour. Me heart in me mouth, his hands up me skirt, and me mind on his meat and veg. That, so, I have to admit that I really like that. <laughs> I like how sexually charged the characters in this film are, and not a one of them are attractive. Like <laughs> the only sort of like attractive like leading man actor we have here is McGregor, and he he's probably like the most platonic individual you see on the screen. Like he's concerned with his birds. A he loves pigeons. pigeon wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> I know Josh is going to come in and correct me here about Michael Caine saying that he's a, you know, prowling nasty Hellcat of his own. <laughs> that's some pretty, that's some pretty rough customers he's dealing with <laughs> Some notches under his belt. That might be yeah. the ugliest cast we've ever had. <laughs> so uh, that alluding to that, uh, yes, uh, Michael Caine's character, um, who goes by the name of <laughs> Ray Say. That's right. Uh, Sounds totally what? right. Shane <laughs> um, he is dating uh, Little Voice's mother, and um, as he's uh, over at their house having drinks and getting into some of Mary Hoff's naughtiness, I guess. Uh, getting he into hears... some Mary Hoff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. In the living room with the lights on. <laughs> like disgusting predatory animals. <laughs> Where's the stage uh, production now, Josh? Why couldn't they just have the lights dim and they go off to another room? But no, I, let, let me tell you one of my notes and Josh started being exposed to him. I think you saw these notes on our like shared document before you even mm-hmm. watched this. Here's a line. I believe this is from the great Marie Hoff. Michael Caine's character has a throbbing throat with a tongue that's half raspberry, half razor. Oh my god. (laughs) Very descriptive. (laughs) And you get, strangely, you get like the visual, whatever the, the, whatever they could do to like, if that's on the page, they do their best to give you that feeling of reading that line about Michael Caine as you watch this movie. I have to admit, I guess maybe one of the one of the demerits of it, I guess, is I actually forget about Little Voice for long stretches of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I forget that's our main character, and that's really who we're supposed to be rooting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, plot-wise, we, we, we hear that Little Voice, though she's uh, got the social anxieties, doesn't speak much, we, we hear her singing, as I alluded to earlier, and it's, you know... Obviously, very impressive. And Say being a uh, a bit of a, a bit of a like a agent of sorts, uh, a talent agent. Not not Some really. Sort he's of. on the skeevy side of it, you know. The <laughs> Some low, sort the lower of lower tier talent management, which yeah. usually is just 
what he can manage to Trying work to his penis right into, basically. Professional <laughs> opportunist. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very skeevy. Coattails can I ride on today? <laughs> uh, he obviously tries and initiates trying to literally get her on the stage uh, and and make a, a, a talent out of her. So that's pretty much where the movie goes. But uh, that's not really what is interesting about the movie. I'm, I, I feel like for the reason I stated earlier that the uh, whoever the playwright was or whatever who wrote it for um, Jane Horrocks because of her talents, it's like that really takes a backstage to the movie, even though that is supposed to be I guess it's impressive. I mean, it is impressive. She is very talented, but uh, I did not. Con- I was not concerned with that <laughs> at all during the viewing. It was all about Mr. Kane, baby. All you're doing is getting in the way. You were in the way the first night I heard her, and you're still in the way now. Christ, do you think I don't have birds? I'll go to. Don't you think it's like putting my face in flowers after you? You've had it, Mari. For God's sake, why is that woman name? Hey. And fuck off. Yeah, I mean, this is a film about scumbags, I guess, trying to take advantage of someone. But, you know, the person that's being taken advantage of usually, you know, it's it's like a... Like a stage mother type, like you're you're seeing someone who's mm-hmm. a performing artist, and they've been sort of like run into the ground by people who have financial um, their hands in their their pockets to to pave the way for their <laughs> their seedy lifestyle, like Michael Caine's character. But the interesting thing with this one is with the social anxiety aspect, the character of Little Voice uh, doesn't really have any interests in it. Like she she likes the music. And she's a great mimic for that music. Everything else, it doesn't matter. If she could go back to her room and play her records, that's all she cares about. And boy, does the movie even take that away from her. There's a damn, <laughs> a damn fire <laughs> and fisticuffs, a stair fight. <laughs> Josh, do you, do you think this stuff was on in the stage version, or is this was this like actioned up for a movie? Uh, I'd say a little bit of both. I mean, I, I'd say um, a lot of it was in the play or whatever production it was, but you know how they gloss over the, the, the action bits uh, with plays and stuff because they can't really portray them. But uh, yes, some of that, you have to wonder, it's like, <laughs> did, did we really need to amp up the adrenaline for, <laughs> for Little Voice? Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. I'd have to look at a trailer, and I should probably put the Nasty Hellcat. I should have put you on the research team as you are the only member of the research team and be like, mm-hmm. find a late 90s trailer <laughs> where they tried to mislead the audience and show explosions <laughs> and like McGregor scaling the side of a building to save Little Voice because I'm watching it with no knowledge of what this is going to be. <laughs> Oftentimes, like my wife be like, what are you watching? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I think they'll, there'll be a song. Wait 10 minutes and they'll sing something and then we'll go back to madness, which is just a long way of saying that uh, I greatly enjoyed this movie. I would I would watch this again and still probably not get the point that I'm supposed to get out of it. Uh, I, I'll have to second that. I mean, there, there's certainly films that uh, they take you unexpected places and you can't quite peg down what direction they're going and, and this is one of them for instance brenda blethen who i believe is an academy award nominated actress at one point in the film says that she can predict rain with her twat bone <laughs> <laughs> these Again, are the type of notes respectful this is actual <laughs> these uh, are the type, the of, movie type of notes i take when i'm like hold on a minute pause <laughs> <laughs> let me jot this down i'm, I'm really interested jared and your take on it because I imagine when I said, hey, go find a Miramax movie about a sheltered young woman named Little Voice. (laughs) (laughs) I would would not think you were jumping for joy. So what was your experience with with this one? You know, I had a lot more laughs with it than I thought I would. It really started out pretty rough. And a couple of moments I... uh, 
I had to question what I was doing with the film as well. Like I actually stopped it. Like there's two points where it's like Michael Caine immediately jumps up and starts dancing to it's not unusual for like a solid <laughs> 30 or 45 seconds. I stopped the movie and I, because like, I'm laughing so hard. Max volume too. Like <laughs> they don't care about their neighbors in this uh, no, film. No, not at all. Like it t- the movie takes a solid 30 or 45 seconds to devote to them just white, very old and whitely sashaying around the living room with one another like okay with the threat of sex that's gonna happen yeah to roll around with throbbing throats and such (laughs) quoting the movie uh and then there's another point where like she thinks michael kane is professing love to her but he's really talking about lv so she gets really amped up and then it cuts to disco inferno for a solid (laughs) 30 to 60 seconds where they're like one of their moves is like they're wafting their vaginas up into their face like I had to stop the movie I was like what I bet you you did you had a little Norman Bates time didn't you not with those two beasts (laughs) there's no way oh that best friend that was some uh, colorful casting I, I, I think this is something that I guess this is just like British comedy Probably in the best sense. Like, it, it, I mean, this is not elitist, like, you know, very thoughtful uh, with a lot of puns or anything of that nature. This is, <laughs> I, I feel like this is like the Roseanne version of like British humor. <laughs> you know what I mean? These are, yeah. And I, I actually kind of enjoyed that for once, that, that sort of turn. Like, I felt like, hey, maybe I've written off an entire culture and not been exposed to the, the blue collar <laughs> aspects of it. Well, you know, what works for the comedy is that. You know, there were times when watching it, I was like, I don't know if I'm laughing with it or laughing at it. And I think some of that is because there is a little bit of that just as I feel like Americans are pretty cultured to British, uh, you know, British culture for the most part. You know, we share a lot of things back and forth, but I still think there's enough gap there where it's like (laughs) – what feels like laughing at it, it's like, no, no, that was intentional. That's just the way they do it. You know, it's a little drier. It's a little bit more beneath the surface. So it doesn't, it doesn't come off as necessarily being intentional, but well, Jared I, already, I, I do think it will. He already pointed out a beneath the surface gag with the <laughs> the mutual vagina wafting duo. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, that's a good point because I, I think a, a movie we've got coming up on the schedule that I'm excited to revisit is uh, Phantom Thread. In my experience oh, with that, yeah. not that's not like a British film. It was written and directed by an American filmmaker, but the fact that it's got Daniel Day-Lewis as a dressmaker, and it's a period piece, I believe in the 50s, Josh, maybe in that 50s. Sounds about right, yeah. Uh, that time period, the crowd I was watching it with were <laughs> a bunch of old white hairs that were coming to see <laughs> presumably something that would be like on like – PBS or like the, you know, the Downton Abbey crowd, because it's got, it's got that prestige. And with that Mm -hmm. film, what you find is a very sort of sitcomish kind of, I mean, very high class, but at times very goofy look at marriage where it is Daniel Day Lewis being prodded by every woman in his life and just, and just kicked and beaten down. And the fact (laughs) that it was him made it even funnier. And there's a certain element of that where it's, you know, it's Michael Caine who's, you know, the the princes of Maine, king of New England from Cider House Rules, <laughs> seeing him <laughs> dance to every crappy 70s song you've got <laughs> and putting it in anything, he, anything he stumbles across. I'm like, you know what? I, I think that uh, this is the culture I want to see from them. Let, let's get rid of all the stuff on Queen Elizabeth and let's just stick with this. Little voice and crew. I, I, do, I do have a, a complaint about the movie. And that's Be careful. that... Uh, no, I think you'll I think you'll be in agreement. Um to me it makes the cardinal sin of trying to villainize somebody who I do not think is mm, the villain yes. whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. Uh because <laughs> as as the plot reveals towards the end of it, um well, as as you see getting there, <laughs> Mr. Ray say has invested like everything into like this show. Like he's <laughs> you know, taking out loans from uh dangerous people he's, he's uh, taking his one shot he knows he's got something yeah, here he's, yeah. he's swinging for the fences and you know rightfully so he sees a talent and and we we laughed earlier about the fact that he's like an opportunist but still very much he's onto something i mean this is a talent and he's not 
he's not trying to screw her over or anything. He's not trying to like you know rip her off. He's just trying to you know <laughs> make them both successful, if you will. He just needs her and to show up and just sing in front. He of just people. needs her to show it. up. Just That's do what you like needs. doing anyway. Yeah. And uh, so at the end, she re- you know she refuses to because she doesn't want to do another show. And I mean, he he does cross a a, a bit of a line. He he, he has a. a <laughs> a bad reaction to that, <laughs> if you will, but but that's why I say he, he's completely villainized. Like, oh, he's gonna get his just desserts. It's like, uh, no, he was like really trying to help her. I you're, mean, you're saying you don't want to see like a a Goodfellas, you know, montage set to rock music where you're seeing his body, bullet ridden body, like <laughs> no, thrown into a dumpster. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 was legitimately like just trying to live the dream and. and help things work out for somebody else and uh well you can live the dream is- too far he was already somewhat living the dream and he just <laughs> he just reached for a little bit too much <laughs> should just should just kept it to the dancing i guess you can go a little bit further than the dancing but <laughs> then after that go home <laughs> stop with the delusions of grandeur a few years ago mother met this man he talked into building this motel he could have talked her into anything. And when he died, too, it was just... just too great of a shock for her in the way that he died. Yeah, I guess it's nothing you should be talking about when you're eating. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was just too great of a loss for her. And she had nothing left. Except you. A son's a poor substitute for a lover. Why don't you go away? To a private island like you? No, no, not like me. I could do that. Who'd take care of her? She'd be all alone up there. Fire'd go out. Be cold, damp, like a grave. If you love someone, you can't do that to them. <laughs> Even if you hate them. I understand that. I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. Wouldn't it be better if you, if you, if you put her someplace? Do you mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sound uncaring. What do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears and the cruel eyes studying you? My mother in there? But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of these stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt I... I it, you felt it what? It seemed that she was... She's hurting you. I, I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues, and they shake their heads, and they suggest, oh, so very delicately. Of course, I've suggested it myself, and I hate to think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a maniac or a raving thing. She just... I was a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> Haven't you? Yes. Sometimes only one time can be enough. All right, I want to switch gears because uh, I think we're, we're going to come back to this in the comparison. But um, I've, I've seen – I was doing some more reading on Psycho, the 1998 version, because as a huge Hitchcock fan, uh, Jared, I think you and I watched this together opening weekend. Yep. Uh, in high school, I, I was trying to talk yep. everybody into going to see it. 
uh, because this this for me was like a major like event. Like I was I was actually excited to see what Psycho was going to be this version. Now I remember this was way back in the day of like Ain't It Cool News that there were a lot of rumors that it was a shot for shot remake through the shower scene and then it becomes something completely different. And there was a part of me that was like, well, that'd be that'd be really cool because they've they've all they've shown us and all they've said in press packages is we're just going to see if we can restage this like you would a play except on film like why do they do remakes and then get rid of all the elements you like let's just put new actors in update it slightly and go and there's an argument for that too i have to admit when i was the first time i was slightly disappointed because i had that in my head that they were pulling one over on us that this is one big con that like something Mm -hmm. (laughs) say ray would do that's what the (laughs) gusman insane was doing here but that's not the case this is for the most part, a shot-for-shot remake uh, with some deviations that don't really add too much for me. Very small and minor deviations. Uh, so minor that you're wondering why they just didn't stick to... <laughs> why did you why just that? Why didn't you just try to go for the shot-for-shot? Shot? You were almost there. Yep. Uh, but I will... I've, I'm on record. I've done this, this movie a couple times on other podcasts, uh, one of which was someone asked me, uh, my friend Peter on show Podstalgic said, hey, pick a guilty pleasure movie that you like and everyone else hates and come on and talk about it. And I picked this one because I knew everybody hated it. I still enjoy watching this. Uh, I have to admit that it's kind of a failure at what it attempts to do. But Josh, as you were saying, as far as adapting something mm-hmm. and just trying to do it again, like this is not something that people have to take issue with on the stage, but in movies, People get very angry about remakes, and in particular, I guess, this one. Because then the argument turned into, well, if you weren't going to change anything, what was the point of doing it? So I guess I'm kind of wondering, we'll lead into our conversation with the two of you. Uh, I know that you both have liked some Hitchcock movies, but not being <laughs> certainly as nerdy as I was as a teenager into them. Uh, what did you think when you when you saw this? Jared, we'll start with you since you you saw this as a teenager with me. What, what did you make of it back then, and what do you make of it now? I remember being much more you know i guess volatile much more angry about it back whenever it actually came out just because you know what you said like what's my my thinking of it was what's the point of making it if you're not going to take any sort of artistic license with it because so much about psycho is that twist and knowing that at the end so everybody that's going into it pretty much already knows what the story is going to be so yeah and and on that point the twist is like the next to last scene. So, mm-hmm. so, so you know that, I mean, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't, I, I, it doesn't bother me as much anymore because <clears throat> now, you know, I'm much, you know, much older, much more calm as far as my anger goes with that stuff. But can you imagine this movie coming out in film Twitter days? Good Lord. <laughs> good Lord. Like they, they go off about some of the silliest, most like small, uh, uh, of uh of crimes against movies and this i mean on the one hand you have the the fact that it's staying so close to the source material but uh, then you have these weird casting choices i'll still vince vaughn as norman bates is awful completely probably honestly awful much stranger now that he's Mm. you know post like wedding crashers at the time up and coming actor uh he had done swingers and the lost world the jurassic park sequel Mm -hmm. but he wasn't even though he's very funny in Swingers, I don't think he was like, oh, that's a comedy actor. Whereas after Wedding Crashers, I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, <laughs> film Twitter, if if his post-Wedding Crashers fame was, hey, I'm going to play Norman Bates in a remake of Psycho, uh, I can't imagine. Uh, although I would have taken great glee and people having full-on meltdowns about it. <clears throat> uh, so here's the question I have, because it's been a long time since I've watched the original Psycho was uh i i feel like vince vaughn was guilty of leaning into <laughs> appearing crazy <laughs> you know early on in the film uh Not i don't remember so either. much i don't remember yeah well that's what i mean like i don't remember uh, was the original norman Bates? was it kind of obvious as well or was it more of a well, it really did shock you when when it was revealed i think okay one problem i think uh, it's Vince Vaughn. Even then, the physicality of the roles, he's like a, he's a six foot five dude that, yeah, you know, good looking guy. And it's strange to see him playing, I guess, weakness, like a beaten down Juvenile. man. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's that, there's, the, I mean, the scenes are the same. So when he's in the uh, parlor talking with Marion Crane, who's, you know, going to be the infamous shower scene death, uh, there's that dark turn in the original. We're like, oh, wow. 
Like, where's this coming from, from this boyish guy? And I agree with you with it being Vince Vaughn, where he doesn't look as boyish. It instead comes across as, oh, this guy's dangerous. Like, as a, as opposed to he's being pushed the edge, it's like, oh, this guy is already, like, he's, he's already done issues. stuff. Yeah. He's got issues of some sort. He's tempted yeah. to, like, try too hard, like what you were saying, like his physicality of being six foot five. He has to, like, try harder, like the, the giggling and the smiling yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to try harder to appear juvenile because obviously a six foot five dude is not going to appear juvenile to you. So I think that, also, that part just never worked. Um, and some of the other reading I was thinking about it was, and this is coming from uh, some of the people that worked on the film, was that not everyone was on the same page. Even going to the uh, like the costume design, uh, the costume designer thought they were doing a period piece. And so everyone dresses really weird. Like it's hard to nail down what time period this actually takes place in, even though there's a title card at the beginning, like there is in the original psycho that says December 7th or December 11th, uh, like 1998, just like the other ones in 1960. And so now yeah, I don't think, I don't think William H. Macy got that memo because he's certainly playing. Okay. Well, good, a good point. Well, because, uh, an interview. Van Zandt let them play him however they wanted. Yeah. Play, right? That's the thing. The director just, let them decide for themselves. And so uh, he was on record saying that William H. Macy was wanting to do it exactly like the previous. Actor. Right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, private eye, late fifties, you know, 1960. It's like, okay, yeah, he's playing that part. He's playing what that guy yeah, would sound yeah. like. But then you have Julianne Moore, who's attempting to play a much more modernized version. She's got the goofy Walkman that she is always wearing. And she's, <clears throat> she's playing her character. Look, looking for her missing sister is like very aggressive. Not you know, not in step. Yeah. Um, personally, I think the only one that comes across well, I think in totality, is probably Vigo. It's just sort of the <laughs> like the dumb Mimbo, <laughs> like the of sex all toy. The things, why a cowboy though? Like all the changes that you make, he's not a cowboy in the nineteen sixties version. I don't get it. Listen, you, you hired nineteen ninety eight Vigo, you make him a cowboy. And it's, Maybe he just liked the look of it. Maybe that's his idea of a male slut, Jared. It's a cowboy. Maybe that's what (laughs) Vigo was bringing to it. He does very much come off as kind of like that gigolo esque. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But I I will say, I'll state my case that I think this from Cinephiles, um, like thing like the audience score, I I think I'm surprised that critics uh, were less forgiving with this one. Audience members, I'm thinking, if you walked into, say, a horror movie in 1998, you're going to see all sorts of weird shit. Like, the way it's shot is very stagey. Uh, there are two sequences where William H. Macy as the PI shows up at the Bates Motel, and he gets out of the passenger side. He pulls up into the shot, so where the camera's like locked on him in frame on the driver's side, and then he scoots across to get out of the passenger side to be like, hey, what's up, Norman? <laughs> and if you're Norman, you're like, what What are you doing? Like, what <laughs> But you understand, like watching a 1960s movie, you're like, okay, they every shot's a little more static. It's not as fluid with the, the camera being moved around. So you understand that it's set up like a stage scene. So yeah, if you're a teenager walking in and say, oh, I want to see this slasher movie called Psycho. I've never seen the original. It probably came across as very we- weird and stilted to you. But mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering why the cri- the critics, being well-versed in the original, why they didn't treat this as something like, oh, that would have an interesting experiment. Because that's, that's actually how I look at it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, actually, uh, movie trivia here. Gus Van Sant was asked um, why he did a shot-for-shot full-color remake, and he said, uh, so no one else would have to. <laughs> so and, Van Sant just going nuclear on the property? Like, they'll guess, hate it so but, much, and they'll never try it again? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. But, uh so, you know, you mentioned that you and Jared had seen it before. This was actually my first time watching the remake because I had heard such negative stuff about it. And I do, you know, love the original. I was like, well, I don't need to really do that then. Um, so this was my first time checking it out. And uh, remembering all that hatred for it, I, I did find myself wondering while I was watching. I was like, I don't understand the the hatred. Like, even even if you say this is unnecessary or... I would never watch it again. I would just always watch the original, whatever. I don't understand like the vitriol, like hate, like oh, that was just uh, a terrible thing to do. Because like what you just said, I, I found it to be interesting that you could attempt to do a shot by shot remake and it still feels so different. 
you know, I, I think that's an interesting thing to kind of. Well, Vincent has said as much. He says he was he was saying that he thought that was kind of interesting that even when you make that attempt, you can have people try to deliver it as Jared said. Uh, with Vince Vaughn delivering Norman Bates lines the same way, or Josh, you said William H. Macy, it feels off. Whereas it me- mm-hmm. might not have felt as off if they had changed more things, which is a strange. Yeah. But yet again, you only come to realize that if you do attempt to do it the same way, the same script. I, yeah, I, I think it exposes certain things about our culture because it's like how much of it is, you know, just because of the time of when the original was made, you know, that those sensibilities fit watching a movie from that time period versus, you know, when you try to superimpose those sensibilities in filmmaking. You're already in the headspace of this is 1960. And so you accept certain weird line deliveries or the way people like sort of Mm -hmm. physically like address each other in the frame, that that sort of thing. I I wonder, I want to kick it to Jared. As you know, horror movies are remade all the time now, not shot for shot. I mean, I think in the what mid two thousands, like you had like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We did the Amityville Horror. There was a bunch of them where they just did a new version, and I don't remember those getting anywhere near the hate this did. Is it just because <laughs> they just they didn't announce it like we're trying to do a shot for shot that people were not as defensive over those properties? I think it might be more so that the the original property is so sacred in terms of horror slash thriller movies, which I know, you know, the, the hall of fame has got, you know, Texas chainsaw, Amityville and all that stuff, but there's, but there's still a distinction, there's a sort of reverence between yeah. Hitchcock and those, the, and those, the other ones. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's still, you know, there, there's a reverence for Hitchcock that maybe those don't get. And, uh, people were expecting more out of a psycho remake compared to a Texas chainsaw remake. Maybe. Well, there's also like an a kinetic energy with like those type of horror movies, you know, Texas Chainsaw or whatever. You know, they're they're more action filled. Obviously, I guess you know they're more graphic, and the the scares are, I guess, higher in in that regard. And so, there's a lot of that that like a modern filmmaker can be like, oh, how can I take that and um, change it up to enhance it for today's audience, and even with a movie like Psycho, even though, you know, maybe people did want like a, a different take on it. I, I, I don't know how you would even do that with, with Psycho without just completely making a bastardized version. <laughs> Having a lot more of, guests just randomly show up to be slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be eye rolling, I, I would think. And at that point, then you are having that, that, that same thing. I think you said Gus Vincent uh, said was, why remake something and then take out all the <laughs> all the good stuff? It's like because I've I've certainly had that uh, maybe not remakes but even adaptations. It's like why did you agree to make this <laughs> if you're not going to make it <laughs> with the stuff that everybody loved about it? Because um, we got we got slasher movie a plenty, uh, you, you know. So I, if, if they're going to remake something like that, yeah, I'd rather see them try to hold true to it, but. Yeah, be a little experimental in other ways, and it, I, I feel like it, that was probably the perfect movie to do it on because I, I don't want them to really try to go all crazy with Psycho and I don't know, like you said, up the body count to twenty or whatever. And did either one of you ever see? I, I haven't. Um, I, I don't know the name of. There was a Raiders of the Lost Ark like shot for shot remake, but it was made by kids on like VHS oh, cameras. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard, and I guess I think they filmed it over years, <laughs> so like they're they aging into they like teenage. Aging. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that one is like held with some degree of reverence among cinephiles because it's like, look at the you know how much they love this one thing that they did it. <laughs> is it, it the, Jared mentioned the sixty million dollar budget, which I think is insanely high for you know even nineteen ninety eight dollars. Well, when Hitchcock made Psycho, it was his like low budget like thriller that he made with his TV crew because he was coming off of North by Northwest and Vertigo, which were like you know I guess the you know certainly North by Northwest was like the Michael Bay experience of the time as far as huge <laughs> sets and action sequences. And I'm that I'm guessing maybe they put themselves on the eight ball where it's like, all right, we're going to take you down a peg. But in, in essence, Gus Van Sant is doing the same thing those kids were. If he loved Psycho and he's just because you had to assume it's somewhat educational for him to make the movie. If he's trying to mimic mm-hmm. Hitchcock almost in its entirety, 
he basically had to sort of learn how Hitchcock did it back in yep. the day. And I think using the same lots, they like built the, they built on the same lot, not because the original hotel had been torn down, but they built it where the sequels were. Well, the, the, I think the house itself was one of them that they used for one of the sequels. So right. it had already so been they, built for that. So, I mean, there, there was a great degree of reverence here. And I guess as a fan of psycho, I, I, that actually kind of comes through for me. I don't think the movie, like, I, I can't imagine it works at all for someone who just chooses to watch the 1998 Psycho. I feel like you can only really watch it with that comparison in mind, and that adds to mm-hmm. some of the enjoyment of it. I agree. It. It's not Little Voice, obviously, which is <laughs> <laughs> total surprise. And you know what? I wonder if there are people out there that love Little Voice on stage that think this is an absolute travesty that three yokels from Kentucky... <laughs> find all the sex talk from michael kane to just be great and little voice is like a supporting character in her own her own story i think we probably did uh, dominate the conversation with michael kane <laughs> over the uh, impressive pipes that uh, this lady has but you know that's our audience do you think that uh, people are impressed with that degree of fan now or is it a turnoff you can you could say little voice the fictional character or like gus van sant trying to completely recreate psycho do you think that degree of obsession like do people want like you see a lot of youtube people like musicians who get famous for like covering songs like when they're teenagers and they inevitably produce their own stuff but is that the expectation that's like you have to make your own thing like maybe you're technically good at recreating that but at a certain point people want you to move on and bring something new to the table Oh, that's a difficult question, I think, uh, from a director. You can certainly enjoy it when a director shows their influences. Like, uh, you know, it's very easy to watch a lot of J.J. Abrams stuff and be like, oh, he's a Spielberg fan. Right. You know, and you can tell that, like, he he grew up loving Spielberg. And I think that's, you know, that, that that's good. Uh, I, I, I don't want to see somebody just trying to be that person, though. I don't want to see them just trying to absolutely <laughs> you don't see mimic. Abrams doing his shark movie. Uh, which right. he's already done his alien movie, but you know, not quite yeah. ET, uh, and just going down the list doing his Indiana Jones ripoff, that sort of thing. Right. Now, as far as like on the screen types of, uh, mimicry, uh, you know, up wise, which I don't know if you'd call that stand up, but like, I love impressionists cause it just, it entertains me. Like these people are, they're so talented, especially like YouTube videos of these like amateur people. Uh, but they have that talent to just, mimic all these different celebrities and stuff i love that and uh while i'm not real big on little voice as a talent just because like i don't really like sit around listening to old judy garland songs or <laughs> not I'd say not unless i'm looking in the mirror putting on lipstick i was just about to say your wife is probably thankful because otherwise that's a <laughs> you're gonna redefine your marriage <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it it's impressive all all the less, you know, it's still a very impressive talent. So I do think people enjoy that. I don't, I don't know if that is something worth banking the movie on or a story whatsoever. Just like I'm gonna write a story about you and your your ability to impersonate. But so in that way, Little Voice can't get around it because they've given us so much original ish content with some, the characters who are not like the Michael Caines and right. the sex debates there. Whereas I, I guess Psycho is going attempting to go all in on that, on yep. that, like you've already seen this and that's how you're going to enjoy it. So J- Jared, which, I mean, watching these for this episode, which, you know, which approach did you prefer? It, it's, it's a really difficult question because whenever you like, whenever you ape something, there's like, yeah, you can technically have it be great, but there's still that kind of like asterisk beside it where, where it's not actually your own like material or whatever. So it's almost like Psycho, the Gus Van Sant one, works best as like a bonus feature on a disc for the original Psycho. Yeah, like 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 you're doing like a school essay or something, or like some sort of addendum to Psycho. It's yeah. like if you build it as that, as like some sort of like <laughs> more of like a study or a, I don't know, like a, a a love letter to Psycho instead of just being there's here's the new Psycho. Like I think it would have been more better, well received. If you would have just, you know, went that angle. I don't know that Gus Van Sant would have a problem with it being viewed like that, though. I, I mean, <laughs> when when they release it, the studio is not going to let that be the <laughs> selling point. Like, this is... No. 
This is an essay. Like, <laughs> look into like mimicry of cinema. No, no they've, they've got to no, sell a horror movie. That's it. Yeah, so that's that's the conflict of you know <laughs> our pseudo academia pur- purposes, if you want to call what we're doing, versus actually trying to make money. Which apparently um, there's a Steven Soberg cut that he he's done side he, by side. yeah well it's called psychos and i guess they they make the gus van tant one black and white and mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen it but uh, i guess they merge they take scenes from both films and sort of make yeah, this they, one master cut i have not watched it but I, i've read the same thing in that like they like intercut like they jumble up the names you know where it'll be uh, an actor from the '60s one, then it'll mm-hmm. like flash up Viggo Mortensen and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting. I'd like to watch it. I also kind of thought that like one thing that might would have helped the Psycho remake uh, might would have been keeping it black and white, just because it might would have helped give it a little bit more otherworldly effect, um, maybe uh, an out of time, out of place type feeling to where people weren't comparing it to the the modern cinema so much. Mm. Of course, but with the I costumes, know. I felt like the costumes they were trying to do that anyway, with yeah. everyone being a goofball from a different time period. With as Jared said, the cowboy hat, and you got the fedora on Macy, and I, I don't it's know. It's like letting like four or five different grade school kids go in their closet and let them like dress <laughs> themselves for school. Like <laughs> it was kind of like a, everybody just show up, and <laughs> today we uh, we do psycho. We put on a psycho production, <laughs> kind of like a uh, uh, no offense to. Uh, Super fan Andy, as much as he hates Wes Anderson, but like the Rushmore kid who's just all of his plays are just like doing like, you know, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> like they just, they just take the <laughs> movies that he likes and everybody gets a costume and they just redo those. That's sort of what Psycho is. But um, I, I agree with Jared in that if you're pitching me on this, honestly, I'm probably going to watch in my life Psycho more than I revisit Little Voice. But in our, our premise of the show, it's one of those things I don't think Psycho deserves the hatred it gets. Mm-hmm. But Little Voice truly was, like, at least in America, a very small release, small film. And I think it, if, if it had <laughs> if it had been marketed, maybe not as much as, like, because I look at it, I'm like, oh, Miramax, this must have been, like, an Oscar contender. <laughs> I don't think it's that at all. Like, this is a pretty broad no. comedy. So if it had been marketed maybe in the spring or summer as something goofy, um, well, you I know, think it would have done better. The, look at the poster for it. Look, you know, like the... The press material, it, it, it looks <clears throat> they're selling the like the music act of the of the movie. And like you were like, about to be I, witness to greatness with this. Young yeah. Lady. Yeah. Like when when because I knew nothing of the movie. So, I, you know, I pull up on IMDb and I look at that. and I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> you know, that was, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> that's like, the I reaction I want when I'm, I give you all movies. Uh, like, hey, here's what we're talking about. <laughs> So I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all. And so I can only imagine, I haven't watched the trailer or anything, but I'd be willing to bet they're selling up, they were trying to sell that angle of it much more than the... The hard nipples of Jim Broadbent? Dropping throat of uh, Michael Caine. Look at us. We we go all to the the dirty bits again. (laughs) uh, I'd be remiss. I know I'm going to hear from Superfan Hyro. Uh, on that note, as we're wrapping up, I guess we got to talk about Vince Vaughn whacking it with the, uh, huh. the sound effects. Cause that's probably, been, he's been waiting for the whole time. He's already sending out tweets saying this show was not funny. Uh, I take full blame my Hitchcock love for psycho. I really want to get into it, but, uh, happened to be watching this as my wife walked past <laughs> and she's like, she looked at me and she goes, those sounds, if it just wasn't for those sounds, <laughs> Jared, I hope you're pulling up the clip. Of Psycho and not, <laughs> not something else. Not you recording yourself to little voice. <laughs> the listener will never know. We, just, we uh, can't see Jared's hands. Is all I'm saying, and he's looking down. <laughs> Go ahead, Josh. While Jared helps himself. <laughs> oh well, you know that's that's where I would have to say, uh, Mr. Van Sant. Uh, what happened to the shot by shot promise? <laughs> like, why? I guess the frame was the same. Extra liberty there. I think it's just sound design uh, with that here's one. My artistic uh, <laughs> license on the movie. Yeah. Oh, well, shot by shot remake. Hey, eh? how about a little pud play? <laughs> ah, you make it sound so much worse. 
that is so so childish. I don't, I don't know, Jared. Pud play. I am going to figure out a way <laughs> to get that mixed in. Uh, Josh, try to come up with a new uh, outro music of the that scene from Psycho. <laughs> and Jared, <laughs> auto-tune, saying pud play. <laughs> there we go. We'll save this episode with some humor right at the very Thank you very much. <laughs> YouTube, YouTube is failing you because it's giving me and Josh way too much air time. Why you try to find it? I well, mean, you know, psycho masturbation scene. I'm on some fucking list now. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our work here is done. Thank you for listening mm-hmm. to Sober Cinema, <laughs> and uh, tune in again next week. We're actually going to do another uh, music theme and another horror movie. So it's like back to back, similar genre. Not as much on mimicry. We're going to be talking about uh, Hereditary, which came out six months ago. Awesome. And uh, we're going to be talking about Hearts Beat Loud. Nothing. Oh, boy. Okay, I was waiting for Jared to be (laughs) derisive again, but uh, we'll leave it to Josh. So uh, both of those starring uh, Tony Collette and hopefully uh, superfan Andy will be joining us for that one because he apparently is a huge Nick Offerman fan. And I told him that Jared would say mean things about him and to him. So <laughs> he wants to be live front and center on Skype for that one. So, uh, Andy or, or Ron Swanson. Uh, yeah, Andy, we're not yet popular enough to get, uh, Ron Swanson to show up, but, uh, he just assumes you're going to impugn this great man's credibility for hearts. Beat He's loud. a Cubs fan. He's all right with me. We're going to have to fix that, Jared. <laughs> the next seven days, I'm going to be sending you things that he said uh, about things that you like that are very disagreeable. I'm going to get you in fighting shape to hate this man. I'm going to see how many Cubs fans I can find out there that Jared would naturally hate. I thought you were going to say he would naturally have some pud play with. Oh, well, pud play. What have I done to myself? <laughs> that's, that's actually the great chorus to this new, <laughs> new single we're going to you know how, you know how like, song titles have like, a title and then they have then the, the other uh, sentence in parentheses. parentheses? What have I done to myself? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard a more tragic masturbation song title. <laughs> what have I done to myself? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we got that one. Jared brought that home. Everybody needs a little pud play every now and then.